You ever feel like you and your best friend share the exact same brain? Because here you are, perched barefoot on your balcony railing like a pair of bored vultures, sharing a pack of cigarettes as you watch the comforting swirl of smoke rising from the infinitely burning building situated across town. Part of you is worried about how one wrong move could send the carton balanced between you two tumbling down into the 15 or 16 or 17,000 stories worth of slimy, viscous darkness between you and the ground. And while you're thinking about whether the tiny paper box would even make a sound once it finally hit the pavement, or whether it would have turned totally black after passing through all that darkness at the speed of gravity, an idea occurs to you. But before you can say anything out loud, your best friend turns to you. You think he's about to ask for a light until you see that stupid grin on his face and you know exactly what he's about to say. <clears throat> hey, what if we killed the mayor? And you don't need to think twice before answering because those words are as good as your own. So all that's left for you to say is, yeah, let's kill the fucking mayor. any other mayor, your mayor is the sole creator and preserver of this municipal hell that you occupy. He's the reason that nothing makes sense in this town. The reason that the sidewalks buckle and twist without warning, like a lined notebook that someone dunked in water and abandoned on a hot sidewalk for the sun to take care of. The mayor is the reason that sometimes you'll be driving down one nameless road just for it to disappear beneath another equally nameless road. Ever so subtly, the path that you were traveling will wordlessly dip underneath another. Your wheels will go bump, losing traction on the slick pavement, and all of a sudden your powder blue shitmobile has been sent skidding in the opposite direction, and so has the lipstick that you were just applying in the rearview mirror. Nice. Just as you were already running late for a prior engagement with your best friend. Surely the mayor was real happy about that. You have, since then, given up on determining times to rendezvous with your best friend at all. The way that the paths that connect you two may choose to swell and fall on any given day is impossible to foretell. You try to conjure a map of them in your head, and it's like holding a human brain. Wrinkled, folded, lightly pulsating, and always inexplicably wet. But honestly... You're lucky on the days that you can find the roads at all. The mayor's town is riddled with gaps, huge glaring chunks in the world around you that were just never colored in. Just earlier today, you were running low on red wine spritzers, you know, the kind that come in those light yellow cans, your absolute favorite brand. So you resolve to get more. You couldn't remember exactly where you got them the first time around, but you figured you'd set out and eventually remember the path you took. Out the door and onto the sidewalk, you followed it, up, down, and around, up, down, and around, while the sky frowned down on you, gray, stubbornly flat, and suspiciously close to the top of your head. 
You pull at your oversized sunglasses closer to your face to avoid its judgmental glare. Staring out at the muted landscape, you sure hoped you were going the right way, but you had no way of knowing. And that right there was your mistake. You thought about it too hard. Without warning, the lenses of your sunglasses turned to an opaque black. You flung them off your face, only to find that your vision had also gone black, as though covered by a second set of eyelids that you did not control. Third to go was your consciousness. A candle blown out. You awoke on the floor of your apartment, not knowing how you got there. A few paces away, you found 12 pale yellow cans lined up neatly inside your fridge. So you do what anyone would do immediately following a total blackout and crack open some canned wine. Sure, it was the exact kind that you had wanted, but to be fair, it's the only kind they even keep in stock around here. You know, because the mayor loves it so much. As much as you appreciated having a drink at hand at a time like this, getting a hold of it was only barely worth the trouble. Surely one should be able to go to the liquor store without experiencing excruciating mental duress culminating in a temporary loss of self on the way there. From a civil engineering perspective, there has got to be a better way. <laughs> Oops, seems like you've pissed him off. A red wine spritzer has just flown through the glass door of your balcony, courtesy of the mayor. To be fair, it was quite rude of you to talk about him for so long without saying so much as hello. One moment, please. Hey, asshole! You better fix that door before the forces of non-existence seep in again and ruin the wallpaper! <sighs> you always gotta remind him of these things before you forget. But yell at him all you want. He takes forever to get to your service requests. That's just one of the thousands of reasons you've been trying to... Wait a sec. Dude, it is so obvious that you're still listening. Would it kill you to be a little less nosy? So yeah, you've been spending the past 343 weeks of your life trying to kill the mayor. There's only one week in your memory when you didn't attempt murder, but it was one of those times when a bunch of statutory holidays fell on the same week and you were like, hell, we all deserve a bit of rest. But other than that, for as long as you can remember, you have wanted that motherfucker dead. Okay, let's just go through the hits, shall we? The Hall of Fame attempts on the mayor's life. Like, one time, you and your best friend tried to mill him anthrax. You weren't exactly sure how it worked, but you'd heard about it on TV, and it seemed quite on vogue in the world of high-profile assassinations, so you just had to get your hands on some. A few days later, you and your best friend were hunched over the table, wearing masks, goggles, and gloves, with a bag of light gray powder sitting between you. Your best friend said, Hey, isn't this stuff supposed to be white? And as he said this, 
maybe even a fraction of a second before the words left his mouth. A memory of the news broadcast tapped you gently on the shoulder. A memory in which anthrax powder was indeed meant to be white. You returned your attention to the weapon of bioterrorism that you'd so carefully placed in the exact same spot you took your meals, and as though the image you saw on TV had become superimposed on the table in front of you, you found yourself face to face suddenly with a bag of white powder. The lethal bacteria looked back at you, innocently, as if it had always been that color. Hmm, I guess we did pick up the right stuff, said your best friend. You then proceeded to spend forever placing the poisonous granules onto a sheet of paper with the precision of seasoned murder attempters. You sealed the letter and addressed it. To the mayor. From your concerned constituents. At the post office, you promptly located the drop box and inserted your letter therein. You would have gone home right then to get on with your other errands for the day if it weren't for your best friend, who noted that there was no sound to indicate that the letter had been successfully deposited. Oh shit, he informed you upon peeking through the slot. I think it's still falling. You put your ear to the box and confirmed from the faraway whistling sound that yes, a full minute later, the letter was still falling. You looked around the post office for any semblance of customer support. The only employee present was a shadow standing behind a frosted glass door, labeled employees only. Hello, you called out. We could really use some help. We just dropped off a very important letter, but we're worried it may have gotten lost in your bottomless collection box. The shadow twitched, so you clarified. The box? It seems to be of infinite depth which is far too deep. And the shadow said nothing in response, which makes sense in retrospect, seeing as shadows can't physically speak. So that day, you added yet another grievance to your list of grievances with the mayor. Incompetent public service. Okay, so for this next attempt on the mayor's life, you decided to go more psychological, more sophisticated. Anthrax has been done to death, in a manner of speaking. People are sick of it. It's lazy and just no fun. This time around, your secret weapon would be trauma. Trauma is juicy, dramatic. It gets you where it hurts. Your plan was to access the mayor's store of memories and then use it against him. You couldn't be sure what kind of memories you would uncover, but surely they'd be nuclear grade. You don't end up as miserable as that old ass without an unspeakably horrible past. So you got to brainstorming with your best friend. Where would you hide if you were a bad memory? Would you take up a quiet life off the grid? squatting in old and abandoned homes? Or would you find community in the sewers with all the other bad memories? Or maybe a municipal cleaner would sweep you off the streets with a butterfly net and force you to live in a cage. 
It is at this point that you realized that it was really only you doing the brainstorming. Your best friend was on the sofa, using a sewing needle to pluck out the seeds from a nearly colorless strawberry, one by one. Hello, you interrupted. Oh, sorry, he replied. Uh, you were talking about memories? They keep a lot of them at the bank. Oh, you said. Wait, what were you doing at the bank? You don't even have any money. You showed up to the bank dressed for a heist. All black silhouettes, looking more chic than you had any right to be. But turns out you could have saved yourself the two and a half hours you spent picking out your bank robbing outfits because there was no staff anywhere. And for once, that had nothing to do with the mayor's incompetence in hiring public servants. You pulled off your ski mask to get a better look at the view in front of you. It was unlike anything else in the mayor's town. Vaulted ceilings and colossal stone pillars. Intricately painted tiles on the ceilings and floors. There were raw iron chandeliers, majestic but askew, with multiple bulbs gone out. The bank teller windows were shattered. Leather chairs were upturned, and little white index cards, not cash, littered the floor. But the center of gravity in the room was this, a massive glass tube extending from floor to ceiling. Inside it was either a dense gas, a shifting liquid, or a translucent solid. Something trapped, something animated, something radioactive, glowing a soft green inside. Three quarters of the way up the column, there was a puncture in the thick glass covered haphazardly with black tape. The green substance moved differently around this spot, pulsing against the strained glass, trying to massage the surface-level cracks to convince them to break just a little deeper. In your stomach, you felt an uneasy churning, not too different from the movement in the tank in front of you. The bad memories, you realized, were using all of their cunning persuasion to try and break free. All of a sudden, you were no longer interested in hearing what they had to say. You were sure they would not be your allies. So you pulled your ski mask back on, covering your ears, mouth, and nose. You felt safer that way. At this point, you were ready to leave. But your best friend motioned you over from behind the teller counter where there were three long blocks of filing cabinets. Drawers were opened and closed at random, and some cabinets had been knocked over entirely. You opened a drawer from the first block at random. It was full of white index cards, like the ones on the ground. You drew one from the deck and began to read its contents. The mundane details it described were punctuated by unmistakably familiar events. Things that couldn't have happened to anyone else in that exact order. You looked a little closer. This was about you. The details of your day on some forgettable day years and years ago. How exciting. 
he thought, for something to be about you for once. How unfair, you thought, that the mayor's secrets should be secured in an almost impenetrable floor-to-ceiling fish tank and yours should be left in the open for anyone to find. You kept reading and stopped when the writing began to describe your attempt to kill the mayor that day because you remembered that part well enough. You picked up another card from the ground, and this one was also about you. On another day and another year, still in the middle of some plot to kill the mayor. You moved on to the second set of cabinets and picked up the first card upon which your eyes landed. This one was about your best friend and his first attempt to kill the mayor with you. You moved to another cabinet in the set and picked out a card at random and found it to be indistinguishable from a card that could have been written about you. That is, except for the couple of paragraphs in the beginning about him walking to your house. Giving up on finding anything interesting in your best friend's file, you moved to the final set of cabinets. You opened a drawer and it was empty. You opened another and there was not a single card to be found. One after another, not a single drawer, open or closed, contained any information at all. You decided then that the giant tube of psychological toxic waste in the middle of the room was giving you a headache, and that it was time to go. As the green substance pulsed at you in goodbye, your best friend drew the heavy double doors shut behind you. Outside, you secured the latch on the gate of the waist-high fence as if that would even protect you if the bad memories ever leaked out. Reminiscing is all well and good, but you're here now, staring at a smashed balcony door with your best friend, at a loss for ideas for how to kill the mayor. You haven't said a word to each other since he proposed the idea. You burn through the final cigarette and, not pausing to let the final embers die, you flick the butt off the balcony into a darkness so thick that you don't even get the satisfaction of watching it fall. Staring out at the night with nothing to smoke, your best friend occupies himself by humming a tune, a loose rendition of some novelty pop song concerned with the inane goings-on in the club tonight tonight. You know, one of those songs that's designed to tunnel into your brain by way of your left ear, and then rot the part of you that controls discernment and good taste. The kind of song that the mayor hates. An idea creeps up on you. Let's put the song everywhere, you say. Your friend looks confused, so you clarify. Let's play the song all over town, so wherever the mayor is, he has to hear it. It'll drive him insane, and he'll have to go out looking for a way to turn it off. And once we lure him out into the open, you prompt your friend to continue. Then we strike, he says. Exactly. So the two of you hop into the shipmobile with your backseat full of boomboxes looping through the exact same song, not even remotely in sync. You go back to the post office and leave a stereo at the front step, playing the mythical Sirens Club Jam at full volume. While you're there, you also slip a strongly worded review of the customer service under the door, laced with some of the leftover anthrax for good measure. 
Next stop is the hotel with no guests, followed by the bakery with no baked goods. Then the local bank slash nuclear exclusion zone. You even go to the lapse in reality that happens on the way to the liquor store and drop a stereo in there for good measure. As you drop off the songs one by one, the excess noise is polished away, and you hear the song in full for the first time. A picture emerges. A picture of some girls who are hitting the town for the night, who just want to have some drinks and just have fun. And who can blame them, especially with a song so catchy? Soon enough, you're singing along too. Yeah, I want to dance tonight. Do -do. When the music whizzes, yeah, the music makes me want to dance. And that's when you really start to have fun. You and your best friend with the windows rolled down, singing at the top of your smoker's lungs, going wherever the roads take you, not caring that they're taking you nowhere at all. In that moment, the weight of the responsibility of the greatest assassination attempt of your lifetimes slides cleanly off your shoulders and slips onto the road behind you, where someone else might drive over it like roadkill. You could have carried on like that for the whole damn night, but you're interrupted by the long overdue appearance of the mayor, who simply cannot stand when the two of you have any sort of fun. He stands in the middle of the road, hands on hips, demanding you to stop, stop, stop! But you can't put a stop to the rhythm of the night using words alone. Everyone knows that. So you turn the volume up even higher and rev your engine even louder, aligning your car with the dotted line in the middle of the road, ready to knock him over like a bowling pin. But then the mayor speaks, not any louder than the music, but his words make your arms go limp and your car putter out and the rhythm of the night go flat. The mayor says this, Stop! You are not in charge here! Hey, both of you, listen to me. You are not real. God, that man is so fucking rude. This has been episode one of Let's Kill the Mayor.